You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. Today we're talking about what needs to happen to return to school safely and to ease fears of families, whether they be of students, teachers, or administrators. The academic year would have started this week, but the decision was put off, uh, put, or was made to put off until August 17th. Joining us today, Catherine Payne, a chair of the Board of Education, a former district superintendent and former principal of Farrington High School and Olamana School, and also, I believe, uh, started as a teacher at Nanakuli High School. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. And Corey Rosenlee, he has been a guest on our show before. He's head of the Teachers Union, Hawaii State Teachers Association, a longtime educator. He has taught in classrooms here in the islands and on the mainland. Good morning, Corey. Good morning. And we did have a commitment from a state epidemiologist, Dr. Sarah Park, uh, not just for this show, but for a previous show. Uh, she had wanted to be here, but she was called away at the last minute and will not be able to join us, unfortunately. Uh, we did, however, uh, have an interview that we uh, HPR did with uh, the director of the State Health Department, uh, Bruce Anderson. Here's what he had to say about the start of school. If the schools aren't 100% ready to open by August 4th, we can't support that opening. The schools have to be ready. The disease levels have to be down to a point that's acceptable before we can support that. If they're not ready, that leaves only three options. I think they're either up to push back the start date for the entire system, or they could adjust it by complex area. Each area may be ready at different times, or they may be able to open schools on a school-by-school basis as each school becomes ready. That's for the DOE to figure out how to best open the schools. All right. And so, Catherine, I'm going to circle back with you. What's the snapshot today? Well, the snapshot changes every day. And I think all of us who are following um, education and public health worry what's going to be the latest news in the paper, because I think particularly for Oahu, things have gotten much more concerning even since we we met last week as a board. Um, I do think, as uh, Dr. Anderson just said, the situation is very different on the different islands and Oahu is is certainly the hotspot right now. And I think the principals and um, in our schools on this island are are very, very concerned about what's going to happen um, over the next week before they welcome students back as scheduled right now on the 17th. Now, in the headlines this morning in USA Today, uh, you know, the headline was schools, our next virus hotspots. And, uh, you know, we're seeing this flaring up in big cities. Uh, you know, Corey, I know your members expressed concern early on about, you know, what's the plan? How are we going to approach this? Uh, so how is the union looking at this? Well, I think, Catherine, you asked a good question. And I think this whole idea of opening up our schools has been an experiment. And what we've seen already across the country as schools are opening the problems they've been having. I mean, um, in Georgia, in Atlanta, over 300 staff members had the coronavirus. Over 200 had the coronavirus even before school started. And if you saw a school called Holding, I believe is the way you pronounce it, the kids are packed in like sardines. So, you know, I think that it's coming very clear that it's not safe for uh, students or staff right now, and especially right now with the coronavirus growing in Hawaii. And I know at the last board meeting, there was a concern about, uh, I believe it was the reporting of positive cases uh, that happened during the summer. And I think that came as news to the union and I think to the school board. Is that right, Catherine? That's correct. We all heard about it on, on the news report. 
Um, we have made some adjustments in how the board is getting information now. So the superintendent is sharing with us as soon as she hears from the Department of Health um, if there is a case at a school. And so we are getting that information um, as it happens and in a weekly report that she um, puts together and submits to the board. Okay, and I should mention that we did uh, extend the invitation also to the school superintendent uh, a number of times, you know, just for uh, one-on-ones or to be a, a, a part of this show. Uh, I know when I talked to the uh, headmaster over at Iolani School, because uh, we did uh, all this summer talk uh, to the various uh, private schools across the state to see how they were preparing for uh, the new academic year. And uh, the headmaster there had mentioned that they had a positive test of a uh, coach, and they put a news release out, and they talked about how they handled that case. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think it's not unreasonable to expect that kind of transparency and disclosure when it comes to, you know, families who attend public schools. Yes, and I, I do know that the schools uh, notified their school community immediately, and they take the um, advice from the Department of Health, which does step in and follows up with both contact tracing and uh, quarantining, uh, recommendations for quarantine of individuals involved. So there is that happening at that level. Um, but I notice now that there is more um, release from the Department of Health on specific um, communities or specific uh, professions where cases are happening. And I think this is really important for the community to understand where the spread is occurring because that does impact the kinds of things that you'll do. Because we do have areas within our state um, that are not on Oahu where there's very little or none of the of COVID cases right now. And so the kinds of things that schools might choose to do there would be different from um, the kinds of things that we're going to have to be looking at here. And Corey, uh, what are your concerns about, uh, I guess, the transparency issue and, and not having the information about the summer school cases? There's still no public listing of what schools um, had cases over the summer. And, you know, we've been getting reports here and there from teachers about, you know, other campuses, and we're not sure if it's six. We don't know if it's 10. There's no public listing of it. And I think as uh, policymakers are making big decisions about whether to open up our schools, I think it should be very transparent of what is happening in our schools. Because if there was a small group of students, you know, you're talking about 8,000 students that attended uh, a summer school, and there were six cases for 8,000 students, what's going to happen when we open up our schools to 180,000 students? You know, and so I think that there has to be some sort of transparency. It should be very clear. It should be on the website what schools have it and so we can track it. And uh, we want to make sure that the parents and the staff are informed and the community is informed as well. You know, we did uh, put out a request uh, across the state just to hear from people, from parents, from educators about their concerns. Uh, we have this uh, one comment from Kay in Kailua. Aloha. I don't have a question, but I do have a comment that's been weighing on me heavily. You know, I've followed along with the discussions between BOE, DOE, HSDA, and I want to say that it breaks my heart that we have left these impossible decisions to educators and parents. 
I am sorry that we are doing this to you all because it feels like this was all avoidable. And I'm frustrated with the state's lack of leadership and that our leadership has never put our kids first. If we really cared about our kids, our number one goal would not have been to reopen to tourism. It would be to reopen our schools safely in a way that makes sure that our educators, um, from the teachers all the way up through administration, felt safe and parents felt safe. And I just feel like we've been let down and that we also collectively as communities have let our educators and especially our kids down. So I wanna say I'm frustrated, but I also wanna say I am sorry um, to you educators for letting you down. We can and must do better. Mahalo. I think everybody wants to move forward and do this the right way. Uh, and I, I know that people were looking at the school opening this week as a kind of an experiment, right, to see how well we could handle things before uh, the state actually opened up the Trans-Pacific travel uh, restrictions. Um, Corey, your thoughts? Well, I think that teachers have been extremely frustrated. I think administrators have been frustrated. You know, we know a lot of our staff in our schools have been frustrated. Um, we've been given an impossible task. Uh, how do you maintain the health and safety of a campus sometimes with limited or no resources. I mean, this would have been hard in good economic times, but in bad economic times, it's, it's just impossible. Um, and so, you know, this is why at the last Board of Education meeting, it wasn't just HSCA, but also EPW and HDA, hearing from the administrators, our EAs, our cafeteria workers, security, everyone said at the time, you know, we're not ready right now. Um, so we're getting training right now but I will tell you what I've heard this week is the teachers have been livid over the training they've been getting. They have not been given enough time to necessarily plan. They feel the training has not been helpful. And I know there's a lot of upset teachers right now out there. And Catherine, um, what can you say about, you know, where things are at? Because at, at that school board uh, meeting, I know you'd said it was a record number of people who, you know, testify, who submitted testimony on this issue. Yes, certainly we heard from, we had two meetings and the first meeting we had nearly 5,000 testimonies and we had less than that last week, but still in the, the hundreds. And we hear from principals, we hear from teachers, we hear from parents. So I know that this is a huge issue and people do want to have their voices heard. Um, I've heard, as, as Corey mentioned, the training, I think, um, it is posted on the website, so I did take a look at it. It's quite extensive, lots and lots of videos, um, and and I I looked through some of them. I haven't looked through all of them, but I I'm hearing similar things from the field that there is some concern about whether this is really what is needed right now, um, and. Certainly training is needed, but is this the most appropriate way to, to help people get ready for whatever might be about to happen? And I know there's a lot of training on online learning uh, through videos, but I think uh, teachers are still, many teachers are still very unsure about that. And I think that we do need to be prepared to pivot to that if um, we are not able to open all of our schools. Do you think it's going to be a case of allowing schools that are ready and comfortable to go ahead and those who are not will hold off another week or so? Well, 
um, I don't I I don't know about that, but I do know that um, we do have an obligation to begin some kind of instruction for our students of some kind. And the more we put off doing that, the more um, difficult it will be for students to come back. Um, it's been since March since they've had formal instruction that has counted. And so we really need to figure out a way to do that. I do think that we have schools and communities, not on Oahu perhaps, but on the neighbor islands where it might very well be safe with the kinds of um, health and safety measures in place for students to come back. So we do need to look at this, I think, separately by communities. But regardless, I think we have an obligation to begin instruction. And this is where I think especially um, principals, especially on Oahu, where people are really um, getting very concerned about the numbers of cases, we really have to take a look at how can that be supported. Yeah, you talk about the neighbor islands. We did get uh, a question from Shane, a public school teacher in Wailuku, Maui. Uh, Shane writes, uh, Superintendent Kishimoto called on HSDA to make an aggressive push to return to in-person classes on August 17th in light of recent case numbers and renewed calls for a statewide shutdown. Is an aggressive push to return to campus safe? And that's an excellent question. And I think um, there is an urgency that we feel for children who have not experience the kind of education that we have a duty to provide. But I do think how we um, deliver that really is going to have to change over over the next year probably and maybe beyond. Um, how we um, work with our most marginalized kids is something that keeps me up at night because I know that many families are ready to, to help their children at home with online instruction and they want to do that. But we also have uh, many families who are not able for a number of reasons to provide that support to their children. And we have an obligation as a system to figure that out and to provide the help. And Corey, uh, what, what are your thoughts about, you know, some schools opening and others holding back? So I'll just take some of the quotes that have just come on the last couple of days. Uh, um, Mayor, Maui's Mayor Victorino said that he thinks that public schools and universities should be closed for the next 28 days. Um, Dr. Scott Miskovich, who is a senior advisor on Dr. Green's COVID task force, when asked that question said, it's not the right time for children to go back to the classroom. And even uh, Director of Health Bruce Anderson, uh, he said that we can't open schools if your community isn't healthy. You're just asking for disaster. And right now, Hawaii has, what, the second highest growth rate of COVID cases in the nation. So I think to his criteria of our community being healthy, I think that he answers his own question right now. Um, and I know Sarah Payne, and I think everyone understands how important our schools are. And we're not suggesting that we don't have schools. We're talking about doing it virtually. Um, and you just, we have to realize this is a disaster. And that even... You know, if there's a hurricane, you're not saying during a hurricane that we have to have kids on campuses. We need to educate, and we're going to have to look at how we do that virtually. But we don't want to risk anyone's life. We have a call on the line. Kevin from Hawaii Kai. Uh, what's your question? Hi. Um, basically, my question is we closed schools back in March when cases were relatively low. They've already said that 
um, certain school sports will not be played until January. So what's the rationale for opening schools now? And I understand there are certain, uh, you know, certain members of the student body that need to have that in-person interaction. But given the number of cases we've been having over the past week and the growth we've been having, is it really a good idea? And are there any plans within the next day or so to commit to distance learning? Catherine? So schools already have identified distance learning programs. And I, I agree with um, Corey's comments. If it isn't safe, it's not um, ethical for us to do that. But my concern is that we must make sure that we figure out a way to continue education. And I know the teachers are also concerned about that. Some of our teachers have really developed a lot of skills in, in the distance learning models. Others are still working on it. And that's what this week and has been um, identified as a time for them to begin um, additional training on that. But there's, there is definitely levels. It's not a matter of just saying, okay, we're going to give equitable instruction to everybody on through distance learning starting on the 17th because the reality is our schools are not ready to do all of that 100%. So we, we have to do some aggressive figuring out of how we're going to reach the kids and how we're going to help the teachers so that we can really provide education during a time when it may not be safe to have that in-person education. And recognizing that we do have some students who are in need of, the, of that co personal connection, our special education students. Um, and we haven't talked that much about our ELL students, but we have a lot of kids in our schools who are not um, fluent in English. And how are we accommodating them also? I think there are a lot of questions and I think the board has a lot of questions that they have articulated and we are gathering a lot more information through forums like this and through meetings that we're having with principals and others who have reached out to us so that we can get the answers to those questions. And Corey, what's the teachers' unions, uh, the teachers' union position on on the distance learning? Well, I think right now, what we've heard from our teachers is this: is that when we had to go to distance learning in the spring, it was such a fast transition. Our teachers reported in polls they've never worked harder. It was much more difficult. Um, that's why they've been asking for time, because they know that they're going to have to take a lot of their curriculum and reinvent the wheel in this case and think about how to make sure that they can guide their students using distance learning. I know a lot of our teachers, I mean, even the idea of this, the concern is, you know, a lot of our teachers are being asked to be able to teach in class and online at the exact same time. So they're already having to prepare like completely different lessons and do that at the same time, which is our teachers are saying is just too difficult. They want to focus on one thing at a time. And some of the benefits of doing it online compared to face-to-face -face is that, uh, you know, the kids don't have to be wearing their masks the entire time. Uh, they can get together. I mean, our teachers have been amazing lessons doing breakout rooms and be able to use collaboration. You know, in a face-to-face -face situation where they're six feet apart, it's going to be very difficult for them to be able to do certain group work. But 
in order to be able to set up all of that and make sure that our kids have activities they can do at home and prepare to do that, our teachers are, are saying we need time to make sure that we can set this all up, and we know what's happening. A lot of them are really, um, you know, scared. They're, they're anxious about all of the different things that are happening. And we want to make sure that we have some sort of clarity. And I want to point out this. One of the concerns that we really have, and this is something that we have to learn, is that over 30% of our teachers um, are over 50, even more have underlying health conditions. And we are deeply concerned that the most vulnerable person in a face-to-face classroom who's vulnerable is a teacher. And how many potential teachers may not be willing to teach if they're worried about their lives or their family's lives? So that's something that we have to consider as well. On that point, uh, a teacher in Kalihi who wished to remain anonymous said that she is very nervous about teaching face-to-face. Uh, she wrote in, why was remote learning not proposed? Teachers are more than willing to teach at school and model lessons over their TVs while students remain at home. We have the ability to set up labs for students that do not have computers or loan laptops, but the majority of students would work from home. Uh, many teachers are retiring early or just leaving. It feels like Hawaii's teachers are sheep being led to slaughter. You know, And, you know, you hear that and you, it breaks your heart because I know there are very dedicated teachers of uh, you know, who have been with the DOE for decades and uh, very fine teachers who are who are scared. Catherine, do you want to comment on that? Yes, and I, I've spoken to many teachers that I know personally and respect greatly, and their fears are real. And some of it, if they're not personally afraid for themselves, certainly it's for, you know, what might they bring back to their families, even if they're not sick. Um, many of our younger teachers are worried about childcare because they have children themselves. And so that is a real problem, not only for teachers, but for, for many families. Um, we can't leave young children at home alone. Um, I worry a lot about kids that might just be turned loose um, if we don't have some structure for them. Um, so there's so many layers of problems. I know that huge school districts like Chicago just most recently is going 100% virtual. I think we need to take a look at and learn rather than, as Corey said, reinventing a, a different wheel, taking a look at some of the things that um, is, are being done. Because the bottom line is protecting the health of our children and protecting the, the health of our employees. Um, before anything else. All right. Well, this is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, we invite you to call and join our discussion by calling one 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. Last week on Wait, Wait, Nagin Farsad and Josh Gondelman wondered about the president's romance with a certain drug. How much can one president love hydroxychloroquine? He does talk about it <laughs> like he just discovered it on a semester abroad and then can't wait <laughs> to tell everyone back home about it. I'm Peter Sagal. We have a crush on the news, so listen as we gush all about it on this week's News Quiz from NPR. Saturday morning at 11, following Radiolab. Tune in to HPR One Saturday night for the next Hawaii Public Radio Presents Blue Note Virtually Live. This week, it's Beatles tribute band Beat Lele, the musical group combining the timeless music of the Beatles with the familiar sounds of ukulele and cajon. Their performance celebrates the 50th anniversary of the iconic album Let It Be. That's Saturday night at 6 p.m. Tune in to HPR One or listen on the HPR mobile app. 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering the executive MBA. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. We are talking to Catherine Payne, chair of the Board of Education, and uh, Teachers Union President Corey Rosenley. Uh, we have a couple of calls uh, on the line from neighbor islands. We have Piper from Hilo. Hi. Um, I'm a public school teacher in Hilo, and I have a question about the school Ohana bubble concept. I know that Israel tried something similar, and it led to a huge community spread outbreak, and there's a fundamental flaw, it seems, with the school bubble concept, and that is that uh, school is not home, and it's the weakest link idea. I mean, any family member of a student is only as safe as the least safe member of anyone else's in that bubble. So we know that kids, especially those over 10, can transmit the virus. So if a teen from one family meets up with his friends and becomes infected because, yes, teens are still meeting up, that infected teen brings COVID home and infects his little brother who brings it to school, and now the bubble's contaminated. It's that easy. A little girl from that boy's bubble brings the virus home to 90-year-old grandmother. So grandma from one house is only as safe as the teen meeting up with his friends from another, and the bubble will transmit COVID-19. COVID-19. It's, it's just it's not protection. And it certainly won't work with secondary students who have different electives and such. I mean, they're mixing all day long. And the adult-to-student ratio at schools is going to make that hard to monitor. So I agree with Corey. I think that schools should be 100% online to ensure safety for all. And the school bubble concept just takes control away from families and doesn't allow them to manage their own level of acceptable risk. I mean, I'm really nervous for my students, and I'm, I'm nervous about my own health. I mean, I'd like to hear what you have to say about the bubble. Catherine, you want to start? Yes, I think the, the Ohana bubble was something, I'm sorry, Dr. Park is not here because that was a um, concept that she put forth, but I, I definitely understand the teacher that says that it's not a pure bubble unless you have a boarding school and completely um, isolate those, those young people. It does limit maybe some of the contacts because, you know, the more we limit, the, the safer it is, but I think that uh, she has a valid, valid point and her fears are, are well-founded because it has been tried in some other places without um, the kind of success that we would like to have. Um, and certainly high school with students moving around, it's, it's even less likely to be um, done effectively. So Corey may have some other thoughts on that too. Yeah, I really wish Dr. Park would stop using the concept because any teacher will tell you that, I mean, especially at the secondary school, but even at the elementary school, there are so many ways that the kids are going to be intermixing. Um, at some of our schools, a teacher will be exposed to over 100 students over two days. And if anyone has ever watched teenage behavior, the second they're not in the class, I'm concerned they're not going to be wearing their masks. They're definitely not going to be separating themselves for six feet, and then they're going to be putting themselves next to the teacher. Um, I think a, a New York Times, based on a Texas study that came out just recently, suggested that on day one 
Hawaii could expect over 300 people would bring coronavirus on campus. So just at my school alone, at Campbell High School, you're looking at day one of potentially six people coming on campus. And so, you know, one of the questions I have, you know, I wonder if Chair uh, Kane would be able to know this is, is has the Department of Health set up any standards of what percent of uh, people have to test positive or how many people have to test positive or how many campuses have to close, close down before we close down the whole system? Yes, and that is something that the governor has asked the Department of Health to identify. They're calling it triggers um, that yeah. would cause those things to happen, those decisions. Um, when last I checked, which was on Tuesday, um, that has not happened yet. So they're, they've been working on this for quite a while, um, but Department of Health has not provided the Department of Education with that um, information yet. Yeah, and again, uh, a very sorry that uh, the health department could not join us for this because I think there are just lots of uh, questions that people have about triggers. Uh, you know, we did talk to uh, Bruce Anderson yesterday about that, and I know he, he said the department was going to be releasing some more metrics about certain things, but certainly I think there were calls in the community to have this done, you know, yesterday. Uh, so uh, hopefully we can uh, uh, have them on the show at a later point where they can address some of these issues. Uh, but uh, anything else that you want to say, Corey, um, you know, about, uh, you know, these concerns? Well, I, you know, and I, I want to thank Chair Payne because I know the Board of Education has been vigilant in trying to push the Department of Health and the Department of Education to come up with these things, and they've given us these two weeks. I, I cannot imagine if kids were in school right now. I mean, can you imagine how many cases we would have? So having this two weeks gave us sort of a pause to look to see what we're going to do next. And so I do appreciate the work that the board has done to do that. Um, you know, and I think that so even I got a letter yesterday from a teacher and he said, how are we expecting 50 faculty to use two bathrooms and not have them be sanitized? And our, our custodians are doing the best that they can but we're expecting them to go, there's just not enough of them. And then principals were sharing, what happens if a custodian gets sick? What if, you know, I get sick? Um, and so they had genuine concerns that, you know, what's gonna happen during these things as well. So, you know, it's not just the teachers that have these concerns about what's gonna happen on campus, it's all of our staff. We do have another call on the line, this one from the Big Island. Uh, Murray? Aloha. What's your question? So thank you, first of all, for taking my question during my half-hour duty-free lunch. I am working today. Um, so regarding classroom ventilation, there's been a lot of focus put on hand-washing and disinfecting surfaces and high-touch areas, which is important. But the most recent and the best scientific research is now telling us that COVID transmission is more through the airborne droplets and the aerosols. So shouldn't DOH, Department of Health, be giving us guidelines about how to improve ventilation in classrooms to make them as safe as possible to prevent these airborne transmissions? I mean, turning off air conditioning and opening windows is gonna make the classrooms unbearably hot. And this is not gonna be good for kids to learn. I mean, as a teacher, I don't even know if it's safe to use fans. So we really, really need information at the school level 
to make sure that when we're preparing for students to arrive, that we're doing it in the best way possible. Thank you for that question, because I, that's been bugging me, too. How do we deal with all these air conditioners, uh, you know, that the governor uh, put in? We can't use them based on, you know, these guidelines. Catherine? Yes, um, I think that's an excellent question. I wish I had a really good answer for it, but it's something that I'm also very concerned about. And it's not just a matter of opening windows because we have a number of classrooms that are air conditioned that do not have windows, or if they have windows, they can't be opened. So um, we're getting into the heat of the season and it's, it's, it's really ironic that we've made this big push for air conditioning. We got a lot of success in air conditioning the majority of our classrooms now, and we now have a very different and potentially very um, uh, lethal problem with that. So um, your concern is heard, and it's on my list of things that we need to get some answers to. Thank you. And what do the teachers think, Corey, about the air yeah, conditioning issue? You know, for years, I've been fighting, trying to make sure we have air conditioning in our classrooms because it is just so hot. And so some of our schools have been designed to make sure that they're energy efficient by not putting in windows or very small windows. Um, so the, the concern is if you shut off the AC and try to open up the windows, these rooms are going to be boiling. And the kids are going to be wearing masks in these hot rooms. And if you leave the air conditioning on, the kids are cooler, but then you're circulating the same air in a confined area for a period of time. And the third problem is if you open up the windows and do the AC, the, the AC may not have the capacity to do that. It might be just be overwhelmed and then break down anyway. So, I mean, again, it creates all of these problems that we don't have necessarily uh, solutions for in this circumstance. We have another call coming in from Maui. Liz? Do you have a question or comment? Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so much for taking my call, and I want to say thank you to Corey and all the leadership working relentlessly to make sure our kids are safe. Uh, I just wanted to comment on the Vanity Fair article that came out two days ago where it was uh, revealed that members of the senior staff in our federal government had a pandemic response team putting plans in place back in April. Um, but then at the time, it was um, noticed that blue states were mostly being affected by the coronavirus, so those plans were shelved as a political maneuver. And now our country and uh, our, our reopening efforts have been affected by that. And I just want to make sure people know about this and that we are relentless in exposing this uh, sort of political maneuvering because, you know, Hawaii is a blue state. This does affect us and all Americans and now all school teach, uh, ch uh, children. Uh, I just want to make sure people know about this and hear about your comments. Uh, political maneuvering, sinister in nature, can amount to human rights abuses and crimes against humanity you know, that has harmed our kids and our communities and killed, you know, tens of thousands of Americans. You know, it, it is distressing. I, I know just to see 
what's being reported across the country. Uh, we have this call from a, a concerned Big Islander. A Big Islander. My name is Jake, calling from Kona. I used to be a bartender. I think it's insane to have any bars open, but it's also crazy the way they're opening up schools and everything else. The virus is going to go absolutely out of control if they open schools up on August 17th. I hope I'm wrong. And a Maui listener was concerned about misinformation on the national level. Aloha. This is Joe from the island of Maui. What are you doing to prepare the general public, especially those of us with uh, school-age kids, about all the disinformation that's going around lately, especially coming from the highest levels of our government, uh, stating that kids are practically immune from the virus? I feel like that's a very dangerous narrative, and there should be some proactive steps being taken on the parts of the, the DOE to combat it. You know, I think, uh, you know, the concerns that Liz uh, from Maui had, you know, it, just all in line with what we're hearing uh, across the state. Uh, but any thoughts? I, I certainly agree with the gentleman who spoke about the disinformation. And I think that's a constant effort to try to um, make, <coughs> excuse me, make sure that people understand and um, that children while they may not get as sick statistically, they can get sick, and certainly the um, they can transmit. So anyway, Corey, I'll let you <laughs> respond also. So on the first one, it's a shame that wearing a mask has become part of a cultural war. I think the story you had at the beginning of the hour showed that how many people would survive in this country and how many lives we would save if we would just wear our masks. And to the idea of the disinformation, absolutely. Uh, there is re new research coming out that just showed that children over 10 are just as likely to carry the virus and contract it and get sick as uh, uh, adults are. And that young children actually have more coronavirus in their nose than adults do. Um, and so they may not get as sick, but in a state that has the highest percentage of multi-generational homes in the country. The real concern is, is that this intermixing of hundreds of people is going to spread out into our community. And the, I think the, the Star Advertiser just reported this week, we're almost at capacity, or we might be at the end of capacity by this week. So, you know, we've got to do everything we can, not just to make sure that our kids are safe, but our community is safe and not have this interaction going on. We also received a call from Iris in Kalihi. She shared her concerns about opening up schools as the number of cases continue to surge. Our number of new cases is nine new cases per 100,000 people per day, and that's really high. When you think of the UK, where they have only one new case per 100,000 people per day, so, you know, our COVID numbers are way out of control. And if we don't shut down or do something drastic, uh, we're going to see a lot of illnesses, our hospitals overrun, our doctors getting sick, our nurses getting sick, and nobody to care for the sick. So, I mean, we need to take action. And opening up the schools right now when this is happening is stupidity. So I really think 
that our numbers are way too high to risk our teachers' lives, not to mention the lives of our students and the rest of the community and the first responders. So please, I encourage you to not open the public school system right now. I should mention that uh, we got word, you know, just within the hour that uh, the governor is going to have a news conference this afternoon at 2.30. Uh, you know, just might get, you know, some indication about the next uh, as, uh, next action uh, that we would take, at least, you know, here on Oahu. Again, not sure uh, what uh, is going to be covered, uh, but we understand uh, Bruce Anderson will be there, uh, Mayor Kirk Caldwell, Chief Susan Ballard and Honolulu Prosecutor Dwight Natamoto. So obviously, I think our officials are, are very concerned about uh, the rising cases and what they can do to, to stem this tide. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Catherine Payne, I know you had mentioned uh, earlier uh, to me before we went on this broadcast that you were also meeting with principals this morning. Well, I've been talking to a lot of principals throughout the state and concerns vary from community to community because I think, um, but one of the things that is consistent in their concerns, and we're trying to pull it all together through the board staff, through the testimony and through our board member conversations with, with principals and teachers, but there is a concern about the communication that the schools are receiving is um, not optimal and some of the things that they need to open school, it, it's not adequately provided and they're having to spend quite a bit of money and we, we continue to hear the issue of the personal protective equipment, the concern that special ed teachers that work with um, very high needs kids and assisting them with personal, um, uh, personal services regarding with feeding and toileting and things like that, we have staff that works with kids very, very closely. So they, they do need different kinds of protective equipment. And Haima has been very, very supportive in promising um, to acquire this because the governor has tasked um, the um, Haima with providing to all state agencies. So we are we have received some, but we've also noted that a number of schools are having to purchase a lot on their own and teachers are also getting some of their own just to protect themselves. So there's tremendous concern out there. And as we gather more information and we can share this with um, state leadership, because we do need to respond to the people who we are asking to take care of our most vulnerable young people and and do the real work of educating kids so we have to find a way to educate our children but it may have to be very different from what we're used to we have another call coming in cindy from honolulu what's your question hello one one part of the multifactorial problem i heard on the program teachers say they have concerns about their own preparation and training for COVID time classroom teaching. Is there concern about actual safe practices too? If so, have they received the same safe practice training given to healthcare professionals? Because then at least they can address how they personally can protect themselves and also transmit the virus. And then about face shields for all, or at least teachers, 
Is that part of the PPE the DOE is considering for public schools? Thank you. So what can you tell us about that, um, Catherine? Um, I do know that I don't believe they're getting the same training that healthcare professionals are getting, but there is part of the training that is occurring um, now and it's all on the Department of Education website, the video training that they're receiving does deal with the, the safe health practices. Um, I understand that face shields have been purchased. I don't know that they have been delivered yet across the country. I think there's this great um, need to acquire all these things. And so it, it has been a problem on getting some of those materials, but um, masks and face shields are certainly things that are um, recommended, but whether they've been provided, I'm not sure yet. What do you know, Corey? So anyone that goes to Costco knows that we're, we have a shortage of wipes and other cleaning gear, and a lot of teachers have reported, you know, that they're really concerned that they just don't have enough PPE equipment, they don't have enough cleaning supplies, um, and a lot of our teachers have been spending their own money just to prepare their classrooms by trying to put up plastic barriers and other things. Um, and, and to that point, this is sort of the, the, the issue that's happened. You know, people that are screaming that, you know, we need to open up our schools, it's good for the kids. I, you know, one of the things that always bothers me is where were these people, you know, when we've had a shortage of a thousand teachers in Hawaii for years now. And some of our kids for years have been denied, you know, uh, qualified teachers. And I think what has happened during this coronavirus is just exposed the inequity that's in place. And, you know, it was good just at the last uh, previous two uh, Board of Education meetings, you know, there was this big question about making sure that we could fund differential for hard of staff and special education because those children for years have not had uh, qualified teachers. And so, you know, there's this national debate too right now whether Congress will continue to fund our schools and to make sure that we have enough funding for education teachers. That's, you know, this big, you know, question that's still looming about funding. And so for all those teachers that are pouring out their hearts and their pocketbooks to do this one, they're trying to make it work. But I've got some reports from across the state where teachers say we just don't have the supplies right now. I did talk to uh, uh, someone uh at a private school who said that, you know, they have a 3D printer and they were providing <laughs> face shields to the doctors uh, and surgeons. And so they have a design uh, of a face shield that allows the children to eat lunch with their face shields on. They can drink from a flask or, you know, eat their sandwich with the shield on. And so that's their policy. Uh, but I worry that this epidemic has kind of cast the light on the haves and the have-nots, you know, the people that, that don't have the 3D printers and can't get those special face shields. Or class sizes. I mean, that's one of the real big inequities that you can see that, you know, private schools have always had low class sizes. You know, they may have 10 or 12 kids in a class. I've taught classes to 40. And all of a sudden, when we have to do social distancing, it gets impossible. And Catherine, what about the, the schools that serve a military uh, population, the military families? And 
some of the things I'm learning now too are the military has rules for their families that we don't necessarily have widespread understanding about and certainly are not replicated in our communities. Things like, you know, the number of hours you can leave a child unsupervised in quarters on the base. And so if children are home and they don't have supervision, um, you know, how, how are we um, dealing with this? And I completely understand that we have to keep children um, home if the schools are not safe, but it's such a it's a much bigger problem for the whole community to really think about um, because we will have so many children that will be um, untended and this will cause problems through a ripple effect throughout the community. So the different agencies are our government really needs to realize the schools cannot figure all this out on their own beyond the services for education. They're trying really hard and they're taking up so many other responsibilities that are really social issues that impact children. The trauma that children are feeling and families are feeling through all of this is something that will also be impacted at impacting schools. We have so many layers of things we have to think about to take care of our children and our families. And it can't just be the schools. So I would you know, call on everyone in the community with with resources and ideas and certainly our different agencies that need to need to help with this um, they need to do that because our children are depending on it and so are our teachers and we've got about a minute left Corey uh, any final thoughts no I, I agree with uh, chair Payne that everyone wants our kids in schools there's a reason why we have schools the reason why we have teachers you know, that's good for our keiki. We just have to recognize right now that this is a disaster, this is a crisis, and we have to do the best that we can to try to mitigate it. All right. Well, we, we have uh, still so many calls, uh, you know, callers on the line, and we hope that uh, uh, they will still call our talkback line if they have concerns uh, or questions that they would like to have answered and questions for the health department uh, uh, who wasn't, uh, you know, the officials weren't able to be here today. Uh, again, we'd like to thank our guests, HSTA President Corey Rosenlee, Catherine Payne, Chair of the Board of Education, who have both worked in the trenches out there and know what we are up against. And we'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. So what do you think? Are you ready to, t to send your cakey back to school? Let us know on the talkback line. That number again, 808-792-8217. You can send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation Podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation. <laughs>